Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower King, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can find more information about the podcast at twoguystothedarktowercame.com. You can also email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. In this episode, we cover book 4.5 of The Dark Tower, The Wind Through the Keyhole, The Wind Through the Keyhole section. Let's start the show! In this section, the aforementioned The Wind Through the Keyhole section, we're told the story of Tim Ross, a young boy whose mother remarries after her husband is killed in the endless forest. Tim's stepfather, Bern Kells, also Tim's father's partner, is abusive. Tim meets with a covenant man, a tax collector, who tells Tim that Kells killed his father. After Kells beats Tim's mother and blinds her, Tim sets on an adventure with a gun provided to him by his schoolteacher. His adventure has many elements of fairy tales, magic, a fairy, monsters, a quest, and a wizard. Most importantly, it is engaging and has a happy ending. Indeed it does. And as you may have guessed, we want to talk about genre today, Jay, as we've done on so many occasions with Stephen King and the Dark Tower series. We get a new genre here, King doing a fairy tale. Yeah. I mean, earlier in this very book, he introduced the murder mystery to his mishmash of genres that the Dark Tower has has always been. And now, just one one more layer deep into this nested Russian doll of, of a book, we've got a fairy tale. And it's a great fairy tale. Uh, yeah, this is some of my favorite writing so far that we've encountered is this section of the wind through the keyhole, the wind through the keyhole. Yes, I have a note that says, King does good fairy tale. Yes. And it's not his first time with fairy tales. Um, if you've read The Eyes of the Dragon, which came out in the mid 80s, that was a book that he wrote for his daughter, I believe, that was specifically mm-hmm. set up as a fairy tale and has at least some Dark Tower adjacency to the series, I believe. It's been 30 years since I've read that. so It does. I don't know that he had that in mind when he wrote Eyes of the Dragon, but he certainly has swept it back into the greater Dark Tower um, universe uh, after the fact. And you can kind of feel or sense as uh, perhaps the better word that some of the things that he experimented with or explored in his writing style to write eyes of the dragon are carried over into this tale and in fact some elements of the story i think are he's he's deliberately drawing parallels like the fact that there is a dragon in this story yep and what's interesting is as king often does is with the dark tower we don't just get a straight western with the fantasy pieces that he writes, it's not just a straight fantasy. With the mystery story we got earlier, it's not just a straight mystery. This is a fairy tale with all sorts of elements. So we have your standard Brothers Grimm Germanic type fairy tale with a woodcutter out in the woods, and that gets mixed in with a Saudi Arabian flying carpet towards the end, and that gets mixed in with a um, maybe a, a British. Tinkerbell type fairy that that's floating around, which again gets mixed in with sort of the English Merlin at the end of the at the quest, and that mm-hmm. itself also gets mixed in with this technology aspect where he has 
our 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 hero finds a G, gets a GPS along the way that helps him get to where it is. So we have yep. the North Central Positronics butting its way in again. So King's still doing a fairy tale, but putting his own unique style on it, not just telling a straight fairy tale, but again, even within that genre, mashing together all sorts of pieces of it to give us, as we've both said, really an interesting and engaging fairy tale. It has a lot of the same beats that you would expect from a fairy tale. Parent dies, boy goes on a quest, has to cross over a river. It's, I mean, it's your typical heroes type journey. Um, you know, we get to the end, there's good magic, there's bad magic, but ultimately the, the good guys prevail. But the beats it hits, it hits in unique and interesting ways, I think. Yes, I agree. But with all of those extra elements that King folds into this fairy tale that make it unique to the Dark Tower and unique to King, I also like kind of feel like maybe it's not really a fairy tale. It's actually historical information or a history of Midworld presented in the form of a fairy tale. Mm. And there, I think there's a lot to, to kind of sink our teeth into in that. But basically, I think that it boils down to that fundamental question. Is this a fairy tale or is it history? Because there's a lot that we learn about the world in which Roland exists and things that are true about the world in which Roland exists that are presented as purely fantastical to the characters within Roland's world. The idea that you know, there's a dragon and there's a flying carpet and that there's a wizard that turns into a tiger and back again and things like that. Like when Roland is telling this tale to young Bill, he says it in a way that's like, this is a, this is an old yarn that my mother told me when I sat on her lap and her mother told her, et cetera, back and back and back generations. But why would this fairy tale include North Central Positronics? Why would it include magnetic key cards? And why would it include GPSs that know about Directive 19? And like these things don't, maybe they shouldn't be in a folktale because, you know, and maybe this is just due to the fact that this is, this is King writing a work of fiction that has a story within it. And that story needs to be a folktale and it's hard to write fiction within fiction and make the, the nested fiction more fictional than the fiction in which it exists <laughs> and then actually have a distinction between them. Um, or maybe that isn't really a fairy tale and it's just, maybe it's a story that's so old that it's treated like one. Right. And, and that tends to exist with a lot of fairy tales, right? Where they're come from an oral history. They might have elements of truth in them. And ultimately they might be trying to explain a moral or a a warning or some sort of lesson to be learned at the end of them. I, I think a lot of the Brothers Grimm tales are like this. So if we think of Hansel and Gretel, it's sort of listen to your parents and don't take candy from strangers type of deal, or you might get caught by a witch and eaten. And it seems like maybe that this is set up that way. Um, and that there might be some sort of kernel of truth there, but you're right that there's a lot of kernels of truth in this story that seem to be things that Roland wouldn't know. Like if, if this is the story as he heard it exactly from his mother, 
there's a lot of interesting coincidences in there because he would not yeah. have he would not have known of North Central Positronics. Would he have known that the Covenant Man, who is obviously the Man in Black, at the very end of this story, he signs a note and he signs that note RF slash MB, which we can assume to be Randall Flag slash Martin Broadcloak, exactly, yeah. which would bring Roland's world, the man who cuckolded his father directly into this fairy tale that's supposedly told before your grandfather was born and he learned it in his day um so there is this interesting understanding of is this real is this not real what should we take away from it yeah i mean certainly that plays into the the wonderful mythology that is the man in black that is randall flag i mean he is also known as the ageless stranger right so when tim finally meets uh, or or gets to speak with the wizard and the wizard says that guy doesn't have any real power. He just has a very long life. <laughs> so basically, his most powerful trick is that he doesn't die for a really long time. He's not immortal. We actually meet him at the end of his life on the Golgotha at the end of book one. But it also seems like maybe it's uh, his life is somehow out of time or cyclical or something like that. So maybe it is possible that he existed in this far off time when he was this covenant man and has become this mythological legend or part of this other mythological legend only to many many eons later be the very same figure that cuckolds roland's mother or roland's father and meanwhile roland's mother is telling this fairy tale that has a character in it who is the <laughs> the, the very man she is having an affair with yep. that's bonkers but also wonderful in terms of how fantasy and fairy tales can work. Yep. Or on the other hand, just to take the devil's advocate, it is just a fairy tale and Roland is embellishing it with things that might be of interest to his audience. Yeah. Just like anytime you tell a tale, I mean, I could try to tell a brother's grim tale to my daughter and I would imagine at some point I would get the story wrong and start to slip in stuff that might be a little bit more modern along yeah, the way. And, so, and you if you know. were Roland at this time, at this moment in his life, and you needed to add detail to describe the most sinister character in your story, why not put elements of the guy who ruined your life? Yeah. Right? In so many ways, Martin Broadcloak slash the man in black slash Randall Flagg has wrecked Roland's life and why not make him that character or have that character take on that guy's boogeyman could be a lot more effective if you know the boogeyman personally yes and there's also like a, a line in in the story where again I, I need to remind myself that this is Roland telling the story to young Bill he says perhaps some of them were already waiting for a good man to appear as in, of course, the good man that John Farson, uh, John Farson, that Roland had to fight against and and uh, and work against in book four. That's kind of saying like the idea that somebody needed to come along and just say the right words, be at the right time or the right place to shake up the way that people were organized uh, in these fiefdoms and, and things like that. It was ready to fall apart. All it needed was a push from the right person. And it seems 
like really prescient for Roland to say something like, perhaps they were ready for a good man, but maybe that's just kind of like stating the obvious. So I think King gets to have his cake and eat it too here a little bit because he can fill us with all of this familiar stuff and make it feel whole and and true in a way that he couldn't if all of this were completely invented new for this fairy tale. But he also gets the benefit of it being like, well, this is Roland telling the tale. So he would have access to all of the information up until that very day that he tells the story. Yep. So of course he knows about Farson and the good man, and maybe he's just making an analogy. So either way, the story benefits, but it still gets to stay hazy as to its true nature. Sure. Sure. Well, as we've said, it's engaging no matter which way you read it. Um, mm-hmm. There are some great set pieces throughout this piece. You know, when he when um, Tim meets the mud man, that, that's a great scene. Uh, the interactions with the covenant man are, are great. Um, I would, you know, I, I just liked all of the pieces along the way here. Uh, and it kept me flipping the pages throughout. What did our readers think? I know you did a a little survey to see if people had any thoughts on whether they thought this was a history or a fairy tale or what their thoughts were on it. Yeah, I, I posted a poll on Facebook that asked that very question. Is is this just a child's fairy tale or is it mid-world history? And the consensus of the poll was that it's a fairy tale. Hmm. It's a you know kind of a multiple choice thing. There's not a lot of room for nuance there. But I personally don't really agree with the results of this poll. I think that this is as much, if not more, history and world building than it is a fairy tale. Of course, we can still make that argument that the mythology of a place gives you information about that place. So if you learn the mythology of a culture, you are, in a sense, learning the culture, right? So if you can think of this as the mythology of Midworld, of course, it's going to seem a lot like Midworld, but I feel like there's too much stuff. It happens too many times where we've got Randall Flagg in this, is, as the main protagonist. We've got the wizard and who is like somehow connected to the, the line of Eld. And we've got um, you know a nascent gunslinger who is not of the line of Eld, so he's a rarity, which makes him all the more special. And just so many things in the North Central Positronics, the beam the technology, the beam is part of this. Like, like, well, why wouldn't any of these things be in it? I don't know, but I just feel like I continue to learn more about Roland's world while he was telling this fairy tale, and I I feel like that make, makes it more historical than just a myth. Agreed. And doesn't in the chapter before this. Uh, Jamie DeCurry mentioned the Endless Forest. Yeah, and just we don't in an know, offhand way. Yeah, and it, it doesn't seem like he's mentioning it as like I would talk about Narnia as as something you know that's fictional and yet something that everyone knows. He seems to be talking about it as a place that actually exists. I didn't get that, or I didn't jump to that conclusion. I, I um, do you think he's talking about it in a fictional? Like the I think he Ford. was referring to it as like you or I would refer to something in pop culture, okay, or or something like Narnia, like um, it's just like the the Watchers of the Wall up at Castle Black. 
Yeah. Like something like I that. I mean, we would totally make that reference in an everyday conversation or or even something more obscure, you know, like the the matrix or or what have you. You know, it's like uh we would just take that as as part of our vocabulary of how we're describing our experience in life. So if yeah, when Jamie said you wouldn't even find a bear this big in the endless forest, I think he was saying like even if you were in the made up fairy tale land of the of the endless forest you wouldn't find a bear this big that that's the way i read it and just to be clear when jay says when you're having an everyday conversation he means in the geek circles like we're in who have these types of conversations hello grant hello aaron so jay we agree this is a good story we agree that it's fascinating. We agree that it builds the world not only of sort of the fairy tale that that's happening and also the bigger world of the Dark Tower that we're telling. I came away from this with really sort of two big questions. One is, why is Roland telling this story to not just Little or Young Bill, but also to the Cotet as a whole? So we understand why he's telling it to young Bill. Young Bill says, tell me a story. And Roland knows he has to calm him down because he's really in a state of shock after his father's been killed and he saw the skin man. And a story is often a way to to calm children down and especially a familiar story or a story with these positive beats, especially one in which there's a young boy whose father has been killed and yet comes up on the other side of hero. I think the the parallels. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels. Yeah, yeah. like I, I think young Bill probably walks away from this thinking, okay, I can I can get through this. I can make it through. Um, mm-hmm. But why is this story of interest, do you think, for Roland to tell the Cotet? I mean, I know they're sort of stuck in a stark blast and they need to while away the time. And he's indicated he was going to tell stories within stories. Um, and there's obviously parallels to what's happening with the Stark Blast, but do you think there's more of a reason why this story is important to the Cotet as they go on their quest? Or do you think it is just a way of, of passing time? Or do you think that he's hoping to provide some sort of information to the Cotet as they go on their quest for the Tower? And this might get back to your world building conversation. And it might get back to the historical conversation to show that, you know, remember where we are in terms of the story, um, even though this was written after the whole Dark Tower series as, a, as an in-between book, um, the Cotet has just really left the Green Palace where they encountered the man in black slash Randall Flag slash whatever, you know, sort yeah. of thing you want to say. I mean, is this adding to his mythos here? Um, is it trying to explain sort of the bigger world of, of what they're doing? Or is it just another instance of, oh, yeah, I remember there was a Stark Blast. And here's another instance where there's a Stark Blast and a Billy Bumbler. Yeah, I mean, we saw that pattern before in book four where, you know, the, the Thinny reminds Roland of the Thinny that he experienced right before he met Susan Delgado. and we later kind of came to realize it wasn't the thinny that Roland needed to talk about. It was the story of Susan and the story of his, uh, I guess, rapturous encounter with the wizard's glass and his the beginning of his obsession for the tower. Mm-hmm. 
that's what he needed to share. He needed, but maybe he didn't really realize this himself until he started telling his story and why it took him so long to work up to the point of beginning it. Here, you can kind of draw some of those high-level uh, parallels and high-level connections, but I'm struggling a little bit to find that. Maybe that's because I haven't finished the book yet. Maybe, maybe I need yep. to finish The Skin Man, which I haven't done yet purposely because I didn't want to color this conversation. So perhaps you have more insight. I think you've read a little further ahead. But yeah, I'm not going to spoiling I, I, it. I yeah, know. I don't think I'm going to spoil anything. It's just, it's almost unusual if you're a storyteller to tell a story within a story like this. But usually there tends to be a purpose, and I and I and I just wonder what that purpose is. I, I obviously think there there needs to be a purpose because I you know me being the type of person I was, and it, maybe I'm more like an Eddie. I'd be like, hey, wait a minute, hey Roland, I know you want to tell us this other story, but really I'm sort of on the edge of my uh, tenter hooks with this Skin Man thing. Can we really wrap that up, and then you can tell me the secondary story later, or is this really important? You know. Um, mm-hmm. And even from is, like, it, is it vital to understand the larger Skin Man story? Is it vital to understand how that story ends? So if you don't have that big chunk of context, that big chunk of information, yeah, does the Skin Man story lose some power? Right. And I suspect it does. Storytelling convention tells me it will, but I don't know exactly what yet because I haven't yeah. discovered it, it for myself. It's sort of interesting that you know this is another instance, much like the the Susan Delgado piece, um, where we talked about in Wizard and Glass. Somebody described it as a novel within a novella, because you mm-hmm. know out of that six hundred page book, the Susan Delgado Magus piece took up you know more than two thirds of it, right in the middle. And this is another instance. I mean, the wind and through the keyhole section really makes up more than half of this book, and it's surrounded by just a bit on each side, you know, with the skin man and then the, uh, the, uh, the outer story. So I, I, I we, we could come back to this in our next episode, why Roland's telling this story. Um, maybe take another step back. Why do you think King's telling this story? You know, at, at one point, especially in the first, maybe half of the wind through the keyhole section, there weren't a lot of direct connections to the dark tower itself. Like this could have been a fairy tale told at any point almost. Yeah. Um, when I was first reading it and I got halfway through, I was like, man, I wonder if King just had this idea for a really cool fairy tale. And then he sprinkled in some dark tower stuff just to make it happen. Or, you know, he knew like, Oh, people want another dark tower book. Hey, I've got this great fairy tale. Maybe I can make it fit in here. But by the time we get to the end, to your point, it becomes a vital part. I think of the dark tower mythos, at least, Maybe not vital to Roland's story, but at least vital to our understanding of all these different pieces of the Dark Tower. We learn more about the beam and we learn more about just sort of all these pieces. And it doesn't seem like it's just a skin that's overlaid this story. It does seem like it's important to the story. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That's a good question, though. Did King take the kernel of an idea or perhaps a a more fully fleshed out story of Tim and his fairy tale like adventure, and then decide this is starting to just like everything else he does. (laughs) I like the next thing he knows, he's writing a bad guy that very much matches the description of a of an adversary we know. And 
hearts. So he's like, ah, I'll just make that flag. All right. I'll just basically he's flag. Okay. He's flag. Now this is a dark tower story. Now I need to find a way to connect this to Roland. And he does that by actually building layers. You know, like he, it's like he started from the center of the onion and worked his way out to the skin. Yeah. And he even named the one of the sections (laughs) the skin Skin man. Man, right? It's it's fascinating. When we do our wrap up, I'll see if I can find anything from King himself about where this idea came from and where it started from. Because it does seem, to your point, like it probably worked out. Like he had this wind through the keyhole piece, and then he had the skin man piece, and then he had the Roland. Like, how does this fit into the mythos? Oh, I'll put it in between mm-hmm. books four and five. This this seems like a good place to plug it in. But uh, I, I'd love to know his ideas behind that and how it developed. If it was, hey, I got to write a Dark Tower book, or hey, I've got this great idea. Let me turn it into a Dark Tower book. Yeah, it's almost like the idea of you know, nudging books four and five away from each other on the shelf to fit this book in. And then like, he then took the section of the book and nudged that in half and then nudged that in half and then nudged that in half. And then he said, okay, this is, you know, like he just, he kept going in and we've talked about how the, the nested nature of this and that it does actually kind of propagate the, that nesting goes all the way out to the dark tower story itself. This doesn't go at the end of the series. This goes within the series. I mean, you could say book five is nested between books four and six, but because this was written after the fact, it still feels like this is something that was dropped in between things. Yep. And every part of the story is about things being in between things. So at a meta level, that works. It continues all the way up to that meta level. I think we'll have a lot to talk about next episode. Yeah. I'm very happy with the direction that this book has taken and how it all fits together. It would be interesting to hear from somebody who came to this book after reading the entire series, because I know we've mentioned that both you and I are reading this for the first time. And for me, I'm reading it for the first time in the order that it happens chronologically as book 4.5. You're reading it for the first time having read the whole thing but you don't quite remember five through seven as much as many other people. I'd be interested to see if there's somebody who maybe read the Dark Tower series in 2011 and just read the whole thing one through seven and then surprise, surprise, the next year they got a new book and what their immediate reaction was. And if reading the books five, six, and seven had them look at this book in a different way than how we're looking at it. Yeah, that that would be an interesting experiment to, to truly have all seven books very fresh in your mind and then immediately start this book Yeah, would be a, a very different experience. If any of you are out there, feel free to reach us via Twitter or Facebook or our email. And uh, we'd love to hear from you and maybe do a Q&A with you to figure out what your thoughts were. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we didn't get into a lot of the details of the story. Um, we've hinted at a lot of it. But there's some really good stuff here. So I think it's time to go to fun stuff then and just get into the the pieces of this that we really thought, you know, jumped out at us and, and were pretty cool. So one of the things I thought was fun was that I enjoyed the additional world building. Like, I don't know that up to this point, we've had all of the guardians of the beams named. So, mm. you know, we know Shardik and we know that there's a turtle, but we don't know the turtle's name yet, as far as I recall. 
perhaps that's revealed in book five, six, or seven. I don't know, but I don't remember that that much detail. But I don't think anybody's stated things like the name of the turtle. They just say the turtle. So when we learned about these extra guardians of the beams, and that one of them is an eagle, and the other one's a lion, and that Tim's story takes him on that beam. He's on that path of the beam that is the the guardians at either end are the lion and the eagle respectively. I thought that that was just a great little actually it was a great big uh, I think addition to the building of this world that we know that there are six beams and 12 guardians. We kind of have only been paying attention to one. Right. Because we only need to follow one beam to get to the tower. So it doesn't matter which one you're on. But it's cool that we're kind of getting the acknowledgement that there are six other beams or five other beams and Tim go, gets to walk along one of those. And we hear about Aslan is the name of the lion. Guardian. I love it. I was a and, huge, huge, huge uh, Narnia fan when I was a kid. So when I saw the Aslan piece, I was very happy. And it totally tracks with like the the Shardic reference. You know, maybe King only uses the name of British author of you know animals in <laughs> in fictional novels from British authors, I don't know, but it totally tracks. And the eagle is named Garuda. And I had to look this up, but apparently this is also the name of a giant bird in Hindu mythology. So maybe that breaks my my trend of British authors of <laughs> stories with animals in it, but um, still, it's King drawing from real-world fiction and mythology to name these beam guardians, and which is great for connecting it to our world. So I thought that was pretty fun. Agreed, and we haven't talked about Narnia beforehand, but there seem to be uh, numerous narnia type connections between the dark tower books and this i mean the doorways that go into another world like that mm. seems straight out of c.s lewis um of course we're disappointed because we don't get a lion at the end of the beam we get a tiger instead but and somehow that's like an insult right like <laughs> right. the the wizard was tricked and turned into a cat because he's on the beam of the cat and he wasn't allowed to be the the majestic lion he had to be the lowly tiger yeah, which yeah. Tigers are so cool. I mean, it's not like an insult, like, oh, I'm not cool enough to be a lion. I'll just settle for being a tiger, <laughs> which is way bigger than a lion and can kick a lion's butt. So, I don't know. <laughs> um, another thing that I thought was pretty fun is the the touch on some of the technology, especially in and around this kind of navigation device that Tim uses to follow the beam. And eventually it self-destructs because it violates Directive 19 too right. many times. But I just thought every time he interacted with it and every time it, it tried to give him a little bit of advice or comfort or like a little confidence boost, it really made me think of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like <laughs> it, it, it basically did everything except say, don't panic on it. And so, so I thought that was great. And of course, that lets me finally make my irrational mental connection. Every time I read the word Stark Blast, I think of Slarty Bartfast. <laughs> so there it is. I can finally do it. Hitchhiker's Guide connection. There you go. I, of course, made the Daria 90s cartoon connection of Daria, the uh, 
Beavis and Butthead spinoff, but mm. not quite. So anytime I heard the GPS's voice, it was in Daria's sardonic 90s whatever voice. <laughs> Another bad reference I made was every time that I saw our hero, Tim Ross's name, I kept, I, I kept thinking of Tuvok from Star Trek and also the principal from iCarly if you have tween-aged kids. But that was actually Tim Russ, not Tim Ross. So, But it took me until I finished reading the book and then I had to put it down and say, I got Wikipedia this because did Stephen King really call his main character Tim Ross to Tuvok? But it was not the case. It's That's Tim Russ. So shout out to Tim Russ. Yeah, go Tuvok. Another thing that I thought was really fun was that in the endless forest, apparently there are giant poisonous wervels the size of dogs and i immediately leapt up and yelled yes they have rous rodents of unusual size that's right rodents of unusual size but they're just a myth i don't think they exist <laughs> another great one was uh that i learned that a group of dragons is called a bonfire got a gaggle of geese you've got a flock of seagulls you've got a pack of wolves Apparently, get enough dragons together, you got yourself a bonfire. It's interesting because I looked up that phrase to see if there was if that was original to King, if he came up with bonfire dragons, or if that's a fairly common name for grouping. And I didn't get a good answer to that. Um, there was somebody on Twitter who mentioned bonfire dragon, but that was post this book coming out. And there seemed to have been an article or maybe a story that came out earlier that was indicated bonfire of dragons but um i'm not sure if that where that it originated but it's it's such a great idea and it's such a a perfect way of doing a collective of dragons I, it 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 rang really true yeah it works i think my favorite one is the murder of crows sure parliament of rooks is good as well yeah but yeah bonfire of dragons is is spot on for sure one final fun stuff that I have is when Tim is enchanted by the throcket of bumblers, he noticed that they stop all at once and rose on their hind legs, looking like little furry men. And I, of course, thought, or like little Rory Calhouns all standing up on their hind legs like Rory Calhoun. Uh, sir, <laughs> I take it you like the vest. <laughs> I know. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that you can find a through line back to the Simpsons on anything? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. I won't argue that. All right. In addition to that fun stuff, Jay, we have a number of reviews that we need to cover. Excellent. So one thing that is interesting is we got a review from Deadeye Dallas in the UK, and he uh, wrote a review called An Enjoyable and Balanced Edition for Dark Tower Fans. And when Deadeye Dallas mentioned that he wrote a review, we were sort of shocked because we hadn't seen it. And Jay and I keep a decent eye on our reviews in iTunes. And it turns out that reviews are localized depending on where you're at. And us being in the United States, we are unable to see Deadeye Dallas's review from the UK until we found out about podcast review aggregators. Yes. Jay, you're the one who did a little bit of research on that. And was able to figure out a way for us to see reviews that were region-specific that we weren't able to see before. So we were also able to see reviews from 
early in 2017 from Ken Major in the UK and irandy62 in Canada. So sorry we didn't get to those when you first published them, but thank you all for supporting our podcast and letting your fellow countrymen in Canada and the UK know about that. We'll hopefully catch all the reviews coming from across the world as a result of our new cool little tool. Um, now, having said that, if we see reviews in a language that we don't know, we might not be able to read them. We'll do our best, but... We'll uh, try Google Translate and see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, feel free, if you're in another country, to post your review. And if we don't read it in an upcoming episode, let us know and we'll we'll, we'll try to get to it. But thank you to all those folks. Uh, we also wanted to point out Amy Lynn 81 who gave us a review uh, recently. She said, this is a fun time. I had previously read the first four books in the series years ago and loved them, but didn't have the time to commit to finishing it. Cut to a month ago when I watched the adaptation of The Dark Tower, and it was such a hot mess that I couldn't let it be my last experience with Midworld. I'm not sure what adaptation she's talking about. Was there a hot mess of an adaptation of The Dark Tower? I'm... There was something... Yeah, it's a little... It's a little foggy foggy in my memory, but she continues, the guys have been great guides, funny and thoughtful, but not so enraptured with King that they can't see his occasional flaws and discuss those things as well. I look forward to catching up with the podcast and telling my friends. Thank you very much, Amy Lynn. Yeah. And thank you for telling your friends. We are always looking to grow our audience and it's from listeners like you who spread the word that uh, that audience grows. So keep it up. Tell everybody. We also got a review from Civil7819. Civil7819 says, I'm on my second read-through of this series. The first time about 10 years ago, I barreled through it because I could never wait to see what happened next. This time I'm taking it slow and I've really gotten much more out of it. There are a few podcasts out there that are doing what you're doing and I've enjoyed all of them, but I've gotten the most out of yours and just wanted to say thank you, size. I didn't catch on to your show until halfway through Wastelands and now that I've caught up, I hope that you both keep it up. Thank you very much, Civil7819. I'm going to go with that as the way to say your screen name because it has 19 in it. Guessing that there's something to do with Stephen King in there. Or maybe you were born in 1978 and you just rearranged things. I don't know, but I'm glad you're listening and I'm glad you're enjoying the show. And thank you for the kind words. And I'm glad we can help you take it slow with our every other week piece. I do think, Jay, for me, it has helped being a little bit, I, as you know, tend to read pretty fast in most occasions. um, Mm -hmm. And I try to blow through books when I can. And that isn't always the best strategy. Well, it's gets my endorphins running and lights up my brain. Sometimes I don't remember things as well as I should. And having taken it slow through these books and thinking about it and having our discussions with you and our fans has helped me appreciate them more as well. That's certainly true for me too. It's been a great way to really connect with this content. And don't worry, we will finish the entire series. We have no plans on stopping. We'll we'll get through the entire series. So for those reading along with us, we'll get there and all journey to the tower together or whatever happens at the end of the book. I'm assuming we, they get to the tower. Maybe it's anticlimactic and it just ends without getting to the tower. <laughs> yes. Book six and seven are just blank pages. And the last page is like, fooled you. Or, 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 well, I thought maybe they run into something and Roland's like, nah, I'm done. Nope out. <laughs> yeah, he came pretty close at the end of book four. Yeah. He almost noped out right then. 
He's like, you know what? I hear a lot about New York. Maybe I'll head there with you guys. It sounds like a happening place. We shall see. Well, that's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash twoguysdarktower. And our Twitter handle is at twoguysdarktower. If you like the show, please leave us a review. Next episode, join us as we finish Book 4.5 of The Dark Tower, The Wind Through the Keyhole. We'll be covering The Skin Man, Part 2, and Storms Over, as well as wrapping up the book. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McCurr. Thanks for listening. 